Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN.com, and we're back here on the Take 10 Podcast with another episode. Last week, we did not have any episodes of the Take 10 Podcast uh, due to some scheduling issues, so I try to avoid having empty weeks if I can, but uh, unfortunately last week was just one where we were not able to get one turned around in time, so I apologize for that, but... We're back this week, and we're back with a very interesting and successful guest in the world of sports media. Our guest this week is Will Leach. He is a University of Illinois alum, uh, used to write at the Daily Line in school there, and he's come quite a long way since his days in Champaign-Urbana. He's now a national writer at MLB.com. He's a longtime contributor at New York Magazine, host of The Will Leach Show on Sports Illustrated TV, host of multiple podcasts. He is a movie critic as well, Gerson and Leach. And um, he was also is also the founder of Deadspin, the popular sports blog that uh, really was kind of the first of its kind to kind of have a satirical while also funny and refreshing look at sports and sports media and, and pop culture. And um, he was on the show for about an hour, so we had a, a good long discussion. I had known Will previously, came to speak at uh, Illinois when I was a student there and met him there and kind of kept in contact. And he's always been very responsive and, and willing to talk sports. Even though he's a diehard Cardinals fan, I'm a diehard Cubs fan. We set aside our differences and uh, talked a lot of Illini sports as well as getting into his sports media background, his, his path to where he is today. All that good stuff that I like to do when I get a sports media professional on the show. So very uh, interesting discussion with Will, especially uh, if you're, you're an Illinois fan, we kind of had a post-mortem of the last decade or so at Illinois sports that has been rough at times, but um, also touched on why Illini fans and should be optimistic for the future and why Will is optimistic for the future under, especially in the revenue sports under Lovey Smith and Brad Underwood. So that discussion will get going here in just a second. I want to issue a couple of reminders first. We uh, issue these same reminders pretty much every show that we have a coupon code active on the btn.com online store that you can take advantage of to get all kinds of btn merchandise apparel clothing gear uh trinkets whatever it's on the btn.com online store there's a shop tab when you go to btn.com and the promo code that is offered to this podcast is take 10 capital t-a-k-e one zero all caps and using that take 10 promo code you get 10% off your order on the btn.com online store so that is still active, so take advantage of that if you can. Another reminder to remember to subscribe to the BTN Take 10 podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Podbean. So if you're listening to this right now on SoundCloud, just streaming it, make sure you don't miss any future episodes by hitting that subscribe button. And if you feel like it, also leave a comment, a rating, a review, and uh, get my cloud up on the podcast platforms if you'd be so kind i always appreciate seeing positive feedback um and any any feedback at all like to see it after you listen to the show so go ahead and do that on the podcast platform of your choice and with that intro out of the way we'll get to our interview with will leach a media professional who has many talents illinois alum that discussion with will starts right now Very pleased to be joined by University of Illinois alum Will Leach. He's a national writer at MLB.com, a contributor at New York Mag. He's the host of the Will Leach Show on Sports Illustrated TV, a movie critic, podcaster, and if you go way, way back, he's the founder of Deadspin. Will, 
Welcome on. How's it going? Uh, hey, pretty good. Thanks for thanks for having me. I'm always happy to. I always enjoy talking Illini stuff more than media stuff. But most media people always like talking media stuff. So I'll we'll, we'll get the media stuff out of the way so I can go and talk about how uh, how this is the, how the lovey beard is going to change Illinois. Oh, football. Uh, we'll get to the lovey beard for sure. But uh, in that intro, I think I just listed like every possible medium there is for a media personality to reach an audience. Did I miss any job responsibilities for you, Will? Because I kind of made this joke when I talked to you in New York at the Big Ten Tournament, but you really do have a lot of jobs, so did I miss anything? Yeah, you know, this is tumultuous media climate, Alex, so you've got to make sure to have as many jobs. They can't fire you from from all of them at once. So, yeah, I also review movies uh, with my... I'm from Mattoon, Illinois, but an hour south of Champaign, and my best friend from high school is the vice president of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association, an actual film critic, whereas I am impersonating a film critic, so we review movies at Grierson and Leach. I write for the New York Times. I write for whoever will have me. I, that's that's the fun of this. All right, awesome, and, and we'll kind of get into how you ended up at all these positions as we move along here because I do like to get into the backgrounds of media professionals when they come on the show and um, you know I kind of first I knew about you but I first kind of learned about your background when you came to the University of Illinois to speak to us when I was a student there and you got into your personal path into sports media and you kind of laid out how it wasn't the most glamorous path and I believe it involved a lot of answering the phones and and writing on the side at at an office so can you tell me about that point in your life and how uh once you graduated from Illinois, what, what kind of road you took to uh, the media industry? Yeah, well, you know, I studied journalism at the University of Illinois. I was there, kind of covered the football team and the basketball team at the end of Lou Henson's uh, tenure and at the in, at the end of Lou Tepper's tenure, actually, as it turned out, uh, in football. And uh, what was funny about it is, you know, I, I wanted to review movies. My hero growing up was Roger Ebert, uh, the University of Illinois alum, film critic guy from Champaign, nearby Mattoon. Um, uh, he was, I really just thought he was my hero kind of growing up. So I went to work for the Daily Line, like he did, to write about movies. And then I thought, you know, back then they paid 85 cents per column inch, so I would write about sports just to keep myself interested. And I was, I was diligent enough at it that I ended up covering the basketball teams and the football teams. Every time I would go up to the press box, I would look around. I would imagine, you know, I, I think a lot of people when they don't work in media, they imagine that the press box is just a bunch of people all going, holy cow, I got into a game for free. This is amazing. I'm so lucky and happy, uh, which is, uh, I think, uh, not exactly the way it was. Uh, I found generally a kind of jadedness and uh, and uh, and people not really enjoying themselves. And it felt like there was a disconnect between the people that were working in sports, or whether they were media or whether they worked for the team or so on, and the people who actually consumed the sports. So I said, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do with my career, but I know I'm not going to write about sports. That's the one thing I could be absolutely certain of. And what happened was I, I moved to New York in 2000. I worked as a film critic for a while. And moved to New York in the year 2000 to become a big media hotshot and uh, basically starved for like five years. I answered phones at doctor's office. I answered phones at Telemundo, which it turns out you do, in fact, need to be able to speak Spanish to answer phones at (laughs) Telemundo, even at a temp job. I just basically just yelled no, no at the callers because that was the only one I knew that uh, in Spanish. And uh, so I did that for uh, stuffed envelopes, did a bunch of odd jobs for a long time. But while I was doing that uh, in the early 2000s, uh, I was working working online on my own stuff and I was writing a lot for free uh, with nobody reading it but just trying to develop my voice and try to get better and I found a site called The Black Table with some friends of mine uh, and it got kind of popular at least among New York media nerds and uh, Gawker Media at the time saw it saw my stuff and said hey you're we kind of like your writing would you like to do a gambling site for us so we have a gambling site we're launching and I said no I actually uh, don't like gambling on sports I think it's bad for sports and bad for basically the soul but you guys should do a sports 
site because I'd love to do a sports site about how miserable most of the people that write about sports are and how much how sports are supposed to be fun and supposed to be enjoyable for a lot of people. And they said, that's a good idea. No one knows who you are, so we're going to give it to somebody else that we have people actually know and you can be their assistant. Fortunately for me, all of those people turned them down. So they thought, hey, you're cheap. And they gave it to me and that site turned into Deadspin. That turned into Deadspin very quickly, much more quickly than I think I'd anticipated. Um, and it got very popular. Uh, I think very much, much, much more uh, quickly than I was anticipating. And uh, it was my my good fortune to be able to uh, be there at the beginning. I don't think people went to Deadspin because, uh, oh, wow, Will Leach has so many brilliant things to say about sports. I think, you know, it was a funny side. It was supposed to be uh, uh, kind of an irreverent look at sports that took, that recognized that sports was fun and not to be taken so seriously, while still kind of, you know, using my basic journalistic, uh, you know, the principles to uh, call out the hypocrites and uh, and the fools, and uh, I was very fortunate to be able to do that. And then I left there uh, after about three years, uh, just because. I felt the online world was getting more toward traffic and uh, and page views and and views and all this stuff that I didn't care about um, than I uh, than I really felt comfortable with. So I went to New York Magazine, and since then I've been working in New York Magazine and MLB. I still write for Deadspin every once in a while and all this other stuff. But uh, I've been very fortunate to be able to write about sports. Uh, my goal when I started writing about sports was to make sure that no matter what I did, I still liked sports and I was not tired of sports because I had seen so many people that work in media just not really enjoy it anymore. And so so far. So good. I guess I'm at about uh, 50. Uh, Deadspin launched in 2005. So I'm at about 13 years of working full time in sports writing. And I still love sports. So I, I, I guess that's a good sign. So, in your eyes, when do you think Deadspin kind of finally arrived? Like, when did you piss enough people off that um, you, you kind of said, hey, I've kind of built something here? Yeah, I didn't really felt it was very strange for me. I felt like it spoke to kind of how. Uh, ultra sensitive to be honest the world of sports was uh, there's this, always this idea that people in sports are are tough and strong and and don't really care what people say and I have to say I've actually found well people that work in sports whether they are people that work in media or people work for teams or, or players or not players tend to be the least sensitive actually it's usually coaches and executives and media people they are the most sensitive people in the world they do not like to have anything even slightly negatively said about them you would think that like you know being in a more physical realm, they would be able to handle that better. So I never really thought of it as a negative site. Uh, I think that uh, you wanted to be able, I, I think sometimes Deadspin would call out people that were not used to being called out and that would upset them. But uh, that was a byproduct. The goal was never to actually upset them. Um, so uh, it certainly I got popular. Uh, to be honest, it, it really got mostly popular after I left. <laughs> to be honest, I kind of got it going. And uh, and how, I always joke that uh, if the person would have run that took over over for me, who was AJ Delorio, who ended up uh, one of my best friends, who ended up having a much different uh, uh, moment of notoriety in the Hulk Hogan case. Um, he, uh, I always joke, that if the person would have taken over and run the site into the ground, no one would care about the fact that I founded Deadspin. It's all the work that people did after me to make it larger. You know, I think for it to become the site that it is now, it needed to care about page views and it needed to care about that stuff. And I never did, and I still don't, to be honest. And so, uh, so they, it needed to expand. So the thing that really broke Deadspin that made it the big, huge thing that it is now, I think is unquestionably the Manti Teo right. story, the story about the linebacker at Notre Dame with the with the fake girlfriend and all the way into that. They broke that story. And the, I think the reason that story was so huge for Deadspin was not just that it was a big story, but it also spoke to the central Deadspin narrative, which is 
the story you're getting is not always the real story, not because people are lying to you, but because they're really busy. <laughs> the media industry is, is much more obsessed with like narratives and, and happy stories than actually what's going on. So uh, that really broke the site, site big. And it's just my good fortune that uh, every time, De- it's funny, to this day, uh, when Deadspin does something that people like, um, they say, wow, well, you must be so proud of Deadspin. And when Deadspin does something that people don't like, they're like, Will, how ashamed of you are Deadspin right now? And to be honest, I, that Deadspin does a lot of things I disagree with, just like every single media organization on the planet does. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm made proud by all of it, both the good and the bad, because I think they, they, they have a staff of like 30 people now. Like it was me like typing into a box and hitting save. So it's obviously a much bigger thing now. Yeah, and I'm glad you, you mentioned that that was the, uh, the story that kind of brought into the limelight. Because I remember being... I think an underclassman in college, freshman or sophomore, and reading that story, and then from then on, I I started reading Deadspin. So, definitely for me at least, that was kind of what what brought it into to my attention. And then as as I've kind of grown up around sports media now, and and have kind of gotten a little bit older, the outlet I outlet that I see compared to Deadspin today, and kind of be referred to as uh you know now the current college students version of Deadspin is Barstool Sports. And naturally, the two outlets have kind of clashed as they competed for millennials attention so as now an outside observer do you see similarities between what you did with deadspin and and what's going on at barstool i do think if i would have been kicked in the head by a mule a lot uh it might have turned into barstool Uh, i'll put it that way um uh, i think there's good people at barstool uh now um i think that uh, inevitably uh, the stuff that made me want to leave Deadspin and to get out of that kind of I will do anything to get attention and I will be and uh, we're like all like for me Deadspin was just, it was just a news organization like it was like sure we covered stories that a lot of other people were afraid to cover but the idea that like Barstool like now there are people that are legitimate news people that work for Barstool but that's not what Barstool was founded on Barstool was founded on I think uh, I would argue uh, uh, appealing to uh, not the lowest common denominator I would say toward the bottom half, uh, at least, and uh, also appealing to a certain type, sort of a uh, bro male guy that I think is attested anytime any woman on the internet and on the sports internet says anything about anything, uh, that Barstool people rain down on them. So the idea that uh, I know Barstool is a successful company in terms of venture capital and in terms of endorsement deals and certainly in certain terms of page views, but the idea that uh, therefore they're big now. So I guess we just got to take them seriously and then kind of look past all the ugly stuff that they still continue to thrive from. Uh, I have to say, I don't really understand it. Uh, so, and I think you can, you can argue that we made some mistakes in Deadspin in the early days. I think there's no question about that. Um, I think one thing Deadspin did not do uh, was double down on them and take them as some sort of level of pride of uh, uh, if someone was really furious about something that Deadspin has done, uh, uh, I think every editor of Deadspin has always looked to be like, okay, are we right or are we not right on this? Or, or do we need to be more an inclusive place? Do we need to be uh, more aware of uh, what's right and just in the world? Where I, was, I would argue that Barstool would see someone yelling at them and say, all right, let's fight. And uh, that may be entertaining and that may be fun and that may even... Uh, help them get that supposed uh, uh, elusive uh, millennial whatever demographic but uh, I don't think it makes anybody smarter and I don't think it uh, helps out the world I was definitely interested to get your take on that and definitely a strong one Um, as we mentioned at the top of the show uh, you work so much now day to day you know I follow you on Twitter and you have uh, a list every week of how many pieces you've written it's usually in double digits you mentioned you contribute to New York Times GQ you've talked about National anthem protests on Fox News, written books. How do you 
stay on top of everything? Like, how do you consume and retain enough information to be a sports and, and movie expert at the same time and cultural expert, I'll say? Yeah, you know, my advantage that I have, and I'm just very lucky, I don't know how long I'll be able to scam people to let me keep doing this, but I uh, kind of have a rule. I only write about things that I care about. <laughs> and, and I know I'm from a generation where I, I guess that's kind of weird. Like, uh, uh, well, my generation, like, that was the idea, right? If you were faking it, if you were writing about something you didn't care about, or you were doing some sort of stance that wasn't who you were actually were, you were a fraud. You were a sellout. Now, the idea of, uh, I don't care about this, but I will pretend I do as loudly as possible gives you some sort of cultural cachet in a way that's, I will confess, uh, I find a little baffling. Uh, I'll say that um, for me, I, I'm i a consumer. Like, there's a lot of discussions about media now about whether or not, um, you know, uh, it's a tough time for media and how, how uh, media organizations are struggling and so on and so on and so on. And for me, I have, to, I have two thoughts on that. One, uh, clearly as a consumer of media, which I consider my, myself a, a consumer of, of media more than I am a maker of media. I mean, I, certainly, I write a lot of things, but I spend a lot more time reading than I do writing. Um, this is the best time in the world to be a consumer of sports media. When I was in college, I had like uh, I had the, the News Gazette reporters, occasionally Chicago Sun-Times reporter, and, uh, and idiots like me at the Daily Illini were the only people really doing any stuff about the Illinois football team and the basketball team at all. And now I have more takes than I could possibly handle on both of those teams. I think that's good. I think more uh, more the cons- a consumer now is more informed and uh, has more access than more uh, ability to follow their team from wherever they are in the country. I live in Athens, Georgia, and I feel like I know as much if not more than I would uh, if I lived in Savoy <laughs> in uh, if I live if, so in Illinois. So uh, I feel as a consumer that's a great thing. And so the other idea that you have the struggles of media I mean, for me the worry will be if people stop caring about sports. Like they haven't quite, not everyone has figured out the finances of this yet. And, and I think the athletics trying to figure this out and everyone's trying to do their thing. And maybe they'll fit, maybe the athletic will work and maybe it won't. Then there'll be something else because everyone's always going to try to fill the gap for something because people clearly care about sports. They clearly care. If people start to like, if people start to look around the world around them and be like, oh my gosh, we, I hope we don't blow up in a nuclear bomb. I can't watch sports anymore. Then I'll be concerned. As long as people still care about sports, to me, it's just a matter of finance that you got to worry about that. And that, my job's not to worry about finance. My job is to worry, uh, to write about the things that I care about for people who also care about them in a way that hopefully we can all commiserate over and they can disagree or they can agree or we can have a conversation. But the idea of, uh, uh, so for me, that's how I keep myself entertained about uh, this stuff. I do a podcast now with uh, about the St. Louis Cardinals, my favorite baseball team and a team unlike yours. Alex has won 11 championships. And so one of the things I, I love about doing that, I talk with Bernie not because I'm trying to extend my brand. I'm trying to get myself into the podcast space. I'm trying to expand my market. I do the podcast with Bernie because I think Bernie Mark Nicholas is a really smart guy and I love talking about the Cardinals with him and that's it. And so for me, I hopefully uh, someone that, that reads my stuff or listens to my stuff or watches my stuff, the same thing with the Sports Illustrated show. Like I have people on that show that I find interesting, that I find interesting to talk to and I want to hear more about their stories. That's what's fun for me. And so hopefully people that read my stuff and see what I do, that is what they're getting out of it is is the idea that like, okay, we think Will's kind of dumb on some certain things and we really hate the fact that he's a Cardinals fan. But 
I'm, he's clearly coming from a place of enthusiasm and energy and enjoyment of what he's doing. And I will say the one thing I see common in media, obviously the venues have changed and we're using online more and so on. It, uh, one thing I see uh, common between now in sports media and sports media in, 19, in the late 90s when I, in the late 90s when I was in college is um, a lack of enthusiasm by people that dig in really deep on it. And, uh, and, and it, like the beat reporting is still a very difficult job and I have such respect for the people that do it. Uh, I have to have enthusiasm to do it. I make this stuff because I love it. And, uh, as, and so I knock on wood every day that someone lets me keep doing it and pays me to keep doing it because uh, I, I, I don't know how to do it any other way. And, you know, I covered the 2016 election for Bloomberg because uh, I always wanted to cover an election. And boy, did I pick the wrong one, by the way. Um, but I was always wanting to cover an election, and it and to me that was exciting for them to recognize we like what this guy does. He doesn't have a lot of history doing this, but we like the perspective, and we're not going to go put someone in this box to do this. And there's enthusiasm for it, and I like to think that the coverage of that and pretty much everything I do uh, hopefully reflects. Well, that. I'm glad you mentioned the Cardinals won 11 World Series because I was not aware of that fact <laughs> before you mentioned it right now. Yeah. Also, yeah, also, yeah. I'm, I'm oh. glad you uh, gave Savoy a shout out, my true hometown. You know, you have the. Yeah, I'm from Champagne, but the, technically my address is in Savoy, so that was nice. That it. How many? How many? How many screens does that theater have now? It was like ten when it, I was there. Then it's a Savoy 14. 16, and they've gone full IMAX. So it, it's. Oh, the full IMAX. It's been yeah, on the come up since uh, since you were on. Campus. I used I used to take a bus from from FAR out to Savoy and then walk like the next. <laughs> I didn't have a car in college, so I had to walk the extra spot just to get to that movie uh, theater. I think I saw short. Yeah, it's there. still the spot, and it's uh, about three blocks from my house, so I can I can walk oh, over awesome. as well. <laughs> So, so when I was at college, yeah, I, I may have like been like, "Who's that? Get, that little kid needs to get off the sidewalk." I'm trying to walk here, and it might <laughs> <Could've> have been. <laughs> All right, uh, and then one of my final questions on your uh, current media career. I just want to maybe get you to be a little uh, introspective here. And and do you think that you take on so much now? I mean, you mentioned because you enjoy it, but do you think it's because you kind of experienced that point? in your life where you were, you know, willing to do a job that had nothing to do with sports or media, answering the phones for Telemundo or a doctor's office, just to have a chance to get into the industry. Do you think that's why, like, you know, you, you allow yourself to take on so much of this responsibility now? Yeah, you know, I made a rule even back then. I mean, back then I would write anything for anyone at any time, whether they paid me or whether anyone was going to see it, because I was just trying to get better. <laughs> and I really consider this uh, uh, like I'm not the best writer in the world. Hopefully, I'll keep getting better, and hopefully, I'll be my absolute best right before I die. Because to me, Roger Ebert has a again go back to Roger Ebert. He has this great quote where he talks about how uh, the muse visits during the act of creation and not before. Which is to say, sit down and start working. <laughs> sit down and get writing and get better and get better and get better. So I spent a long time writing things that nobody read, that nobody cared about, that nobody paid for me, nobody saw. And But I felt it was worth it because someday uh, I thought it would just make me better. And if an opportunity ever did arise, I mean, Deadspin didn't launch until right before I turned 30. Like that was a long time in my 20s where my parents were like, so really, Telemundo, huh? Like you're out in New York, what are you doing out there? So from but I knew that I this a this is what I wanted to do, and b if opportunity ever arose, I'd be ready. And I'm glad the opportunity of Deadspin didn't happen when I was like 21, because I would I probably would have been a jerk about it, and I probably would have not appreciated uh, my good fortune to have that opportunity. And I think it made, it's made me a better writer because of it. So generally speaking. Uh, now I don't turn down assignments. I love to. I love getting asked to do things. I'm honored that anyone uh, that that anyone ever wants to read any, that wants me to write anything, let alone read it. Uh, and I feel like that's a good attitude to have 
particularly when sometimes things get very negative. And sometimes, I mean, you, you, anytime that anyone puts anything online or, or makes any sort of, puts themselves out there or puts their name on anything, someone will get angry at them at, at them for it and someone will yell at them. And on one hand, like it's demoralizing. Like no one likes to wake up on a Saturday morning being called a horrible name. I get it. Uh, uh, and, and on the other hand, uh, there was a long time where I made a bunch of stuff and nobody even cared, saw or cared enough to say a word. So for me, I'm living the dream. You know, I, I never wanted, like I never, I, one thing I will say, I kind of talked about Barstool earlier. One thing I will say I respect about those guys, guys in the early days, it's probably not a lot, but this is one thing I do respect is they saw that they were entrepreneurs. They wanted to, they saw this as like an opportunity to go out and, make some big brand or so on. I never had any desire to do that. I want to write. That's all I ever wanted to do. So if I can do this, where I just get to write every day, a whole day, every day for the rest of my life, and, it, and, I, and I don't get any more followers or the same number of followers, the same name of people, this was always the goal. So as long as I get a chance to do that and I do it as long as I can, uh, I, I'm not going to complain about anything. All right. And as you know, as well as anyone, uh, the written you know, word has kind of been nudged aside a little bit uh, in favor of video as far as people trying to monetize digital video, video especially in sports. And uh, you've been more on-camera oriented as well. You know, we mentioned you had your Sports Illustrated TV show. You've done other appearances on camera. I saw you, I think I'm Bloomberg, you did on-camera stuff. So I want to get into your transition to, to more on-camera focused uh, roles, I guess. How did that come about and, and were you always comfortable with it? Uh, no, I was terrible. I, I've, not only was I terrible, I, I thought it was stupid, and people that did it were stupid. <laughs> and uh, and for me, you know, I'm a, I'm a print, I'm a print guy. You know, I I didn't grow up. I'm even from a generation. I'm still I'm old enough that like I'm that I remember waiting all night for the first issue of the Daily Illini that I had a piece in to show up at FAR, and I like accosted the poor person at four o'clock in the morning. Like I like writing is the whole reason I do anything. So I was always very awkward and very uncomfortable with it and kind of almost dismissive uh, of it when I first started. And then, you know, you just get more comfortable. Like Deadspin required a lot of things you had to do. I had to be the forward public-facing face of that site. So it made me just so – just because I didn't want people not reading the site because – I was an idiot on camera, so I just made myself kind of practice and get better. You know, it's uh, uh, it's reps. Bill Simmons talked about this one time about how uh, he tried to get better at television. I think he's backed off a little bit now, but if you watch early Bill Simmons television appearances and later Bill Simmons television appearance, he clearly got better because of reps. Look at early Tony Kornheiser television appearances or Michael Wilbon television appearances. They were like print reporters that were awkwardly looking at the wrong camera and, and, and stammering and babbling. For me, it's just a matter of I all I, the goal is writing. Like the goal, all I want to do is write. I recognize that the industry is sometimes valuing other things in addition to that. So I'm not gonna be like I want to keep doing this. So I'm I'm gonna make myself better at it. I enjoy doing it. The Sports Illustrated show is really fun to do because a I get to write the whole show. So like I'm the right there's a writing aspect to it. But B, you know, that is, that's a skill set that I, I'm better at than I thought I was. I didn't think I would be that great at that. And it's something, it's, it's proof like it is, like it was with my writing. If you just have to keep working at it, you just have to keep going and going. I'm still not great. There's still a lot of people. I've seen you on camera, Alex. You're better than I am at the, uh, at this. You had an earlier start that you, you started earlier in career than me. And I'm, I'll probably never catch up with you. <laughs> but for, for me, I'm, uh, I need to be. I, it's if someone asks me, it comes back to the same idea with the stories. If someone asks me to do something, 
I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I, I, I feel like there's like an improv. I don't know if you ever did any improv. And we did improv in college. It's a basic tenet of doing improv is you're supposed to say yes to your scene partner, which is to say, if you say no, if, like, if, if there's a question, so are you a chair? You're never supposed to say no because that just shuts down the scene. There's no more you can go with it. Once you say no to someone, the scene ends. If you say yes, then they can say, well, are you this kind of chair? And then they say yes. And next thing you know, you've got a whole world of possibilities out there for you. I kind of like, I'm a big fan of saying yes and just say, maybe I'll be bad at stuff. Believe you me, you search video of me online. I've done a lot of, you can see how bad it was I used to be at the stuff and also how I used to be like 30 pounds heavier than I am right now. So I get it. Like, uh, that's okay. That's like part of the process to get better and better and better. So now I've grown to enjoy it. But if you were to, uh, writing is always the first thing. Writing is the thing I do all day. That's the thing that makes me happiest. And that's always going to be the Well, I watched your episode with Taylor Rooks and it was good to see to Illini on the Sports Illustrated stage, you know, and I, were you guys in New York at that point? Yeah, I felt bad about that because Taylor's so great, and and we had had a uh, she's so awesome, and and we had a tech issue literally right before she got there, so it looks the video of that looks like it was shot by, by like an iPhone, <laughs> and we have like a full studio uh, time, or I guess Meredith now has this wonderful studio in downtown Manhattan, and we and we've been very fortunate to have this great crew and this great stuff, none of which were there for Taylor's show. So if that's the one you watched, I apologize because the technical spec on that were uh, below our usual quality. Well, I didn't notice, and, uh, you know, Taylor Rooks, BTN alum, uh, she's always smooth She's, she's always smooth on camera. She's taking over. Yeah, you know. Yeah, she is taking over, and she is so smart. And, you know, just to give a little love for Taylor real fast, I know she, I saw the work, I've been watching Big Ten Network forever, so I've seen the work she's done on there. One of the things that's been really fun for me, and I talked to her on that show about, was to watch her feel more comfortable being making her giving her own opinion on air and having and that's a, I think her perspective is one that's been lost a lot in the world of sports media coverage so to see not only her getting good at that but that being embraced has been very exciting we are all going to be work for, working for Taylor someday and I'm totally no fine. doubt yeah we were friends in college and uh I knew then that you know she was going places and she was a star. She was like breaking stories as like a sophomore. It's really annoying. I never did. I could barely get out of bed before <laughs> noon when I was a sophomore. All right. So since we're on the subject of Illinois and uh, sports media figures at Illinois, let's talk some Illini. Um, you mentioned you grew up in Mattoon, 45 minutes away from U of I. Was there really another option for you or were you kind of growing up like me, raised like that, where you know, growing up around the Illini, your, your fandom and maybe even your family like myself as far as being a legacy student just kind of naturally led you there for school? Yeah, my parents didn't go to school. My mom went to school there uh, when I was a, when I was a teenager, uh, but they had not. My neither of my parents had been to college until uh, my mom went when I was when I was in high school. But Illinois was. I mean, we were forty five minutes away, and you know how it is, particularly with basketball in downstate Illinois. I mean, it's the essential organizing principle of everybody's lives. And I think a large reason that gets forgotten about this sometimes is back in the day before the Big Ten Network. I know there was a time before the Big Ten Network. It feels like the Big Bang, and all sports media came after that, but. In fact, there were there were things before the Big Ten Network and before ESPN Plus and the way that you would watch. Uh uh, by, by the old ESPN Plus. Now there's like a different ESPN Plus, but the old ESPN Plus was what you could watch local Illinois basketball games on. Back back, back when I was a kid, all games were on WCIA, uh, Channel 3 in Champaign, which meant no matter what, they would preempt everything. They would preempt every, no matter what national CBS was showing, it would be preempted for an Illinois basketball game. And it became... 
Like that's just what you did during the winter was no matter what was going on, everybody gathered around the television to watch Lou Henson and the Illini. And it just became the way it must feel to live, uh, uh, to grow up near Yankee Stadium. Uh, And like, of course, you're going to be a Yankees fan. Like not only, I mean, Illinois basketball is so powerful that not only did it make me an Illinois basketball fan, I was, you know, I really never really considered going to college anywhere else. Like that was, Illinois was where I was always going to go. And so, uh, yeah, Illinois basketball, it's funny. The, uh, I know there's a lot of, they're in a transitional period now, uh, we'll say. But I do think that uh, I understand. I always try to explain to people. I have a friend here. I live in Athens, Georgia. I have a friend here who uh, read. I wrote a piece, uh, tortured college basketball fan bases after the Final Four. And I had Illinois in the top five. And he was like, I didn't realize Illinois was that good. Uh, uh, I've just been looking at it for the last 10 years. And it's frustrating because you want to tell people, like, no, from like, the, from like 83, 81 to... 92 or 93 this was one of the 94 this is one of the best uh, organizations in, in basketball and then they went through another run uh, with uh, Kruger and self and then and then Weber to uh, after that so this is a great college basketball program and uh, I'm looking forward to getting them back uh, to where they were before so yeah Illinois basketball I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fans for uh, I, I wrote a newsletter I have a newsletter um, that you should everyone should subscribe to and the uh, um, I wrote I ranked all of my favorite sports teams in order, and one was St. Louis Cardinals, one A was Illinois b- basketball, and and then there was a huge gap to whatever was below that. Those are the two kind of guiding principles of my sports life, and uh, I never miss a game to this to 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 this day. Uh, the if I if I ever found myself in a place well, I don't think there are many left where I could not get the Big Ten Network, it would be very sad because uh, Illinois basketball is very important. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned your friend in Georgia that didn't kind of realize Illinois had a you know torture like a, a storied past to kind of long and look back to because I've kind of brought this up when I'm talking Illinois sports with uh with people today and I always ask like have you ever stopped and thought about how damaging it's been to the Illinois athletics brand to not have been on the national stage or had a successful team since kind of sports media completely shifted like there hasn't been a great team in the HDTV era there hasn't been a great team in the social media era like I I just want to get your thoughts on how that has potentially impacted the Illinois athletics brand, like in Athens, Georgia, or anywhere where you don't know the, the history of Illinois basketball and then you know football, like the Rose Bowl and and all that. Much less so football, but uh, Illinois sports in general. Yeah, I think football. I would almost argue football has been more damaging to Illinois because you can Illinois basketball has been disappointing and very frustrating for nearly a decade now. Uh, but they've never like been embarrassing. Like there's never been a time where like what Pittsburgh is right now, for example, there's never been a time where Illinois basketball has embarrassed. They've just been not even close to what we think they all should be. Illinois football has been a little different. I think, uh, uh, I, I think there have been, there have been public embarrassments, both, uh, for off the field stuff. Uh, and also like, listen, Put it this way, when I, I live in the South and I tell people that the best era in Illinois football in the last 20 years was when Ron Zook was coaching, that is a really good way to get made fun of. <laughs> like, that's an excellent way to get made fun of. And I say out of that with respect for Ron Zook, but like, you know, he's he's kind of a kind of a goat uh, uh, down here. So, yeah, I think to see to try to explain to people how not only how good Illinois basketball used to be, but how fevered the fans were and how it really is 
and you know what it can be. Like, that's the thing, too. It's not like they had some horrible scandal and fell off the table and have yet to be able to recover. It's just been a small erosion here, a small erosion there, and now all of a sudden, here's where you are. And uh, this, to me, I do not think it is unreasonable for Illinois fans uh, to believe that they should be not uh, easily a tournament team. Uh, they should make the tournament eight or nine out of every ten years. And anything less than that is less than what Illinois should be doing. And, you know, I think Illinois has the most Final Fours of any school without ever winning the championship. And I think they're third in all-time NCAA appearances and, and wins without winning a championship. Like, this is a, a – I think that – I think if that Illinois, D. Brown, Darren Williams, Roger Powell, Luther Head team, uh, uh, James Augustine team – if uh, Nick Smith, sure, let's toss Nick Smith in there. Uh, they, uh, if that team had happened now, I think people would like that. They, that's they're like Villanova, right? As, they were as fun as Villanova is now, and 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 everyone in Chicago would be really into them. And like Illinois was popular. It's been so long that since Illinois was that great, Bill Murray was the huge fan of them then, and it was really before Bill Murray was quite completely a meme himself. <laughs> so I think that uh, it's frustrating. It's frustrating, but it also I feel like the particulars and the foundations are still there for them to get it back going. And I frankly, as uh, the, obviously the first year of the Underwood era was a transition, I still feel like there is, uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of potential there, and I think he, I think he's the right guy for the job. So another kind of unofficial hypothesis I have after observing social media trends for nearly two years now here at BTN, I think Illinois' like lack of success on the field has kind of manifested itself on social media. Social media, I think like there's a subset of Illinois fans whose passion for recruiting and who have this hope for the future that hasn't arrived yet. I think that optimism displays itself on social media in a fairly like unique way. Like there's a few other schools, maybe Nebraska is up there, but I haven't seen many schools in the Big Ten and even out, outward uh, outside of the Big Ten that have as much fan engagement on social media, especially regarding recruiting. Because sure, you know, like the really successful schools in the Big Ten drive huge engagement numbers when their teams are on the field and doing well, like the Ohio States and the Michigans. But it's fascinating to me to see like an Illinois recruit, some guy that might not even be seriously considering coming to Illinois. They tweet out a graphic of them in a photoshopped Illinois jersey, and it does as well or better than like not only some Big Ten posts or some, it does better than some professional sports teams tweets. It's just crazy to me, and I, I'm sure you've noticed that kind of being in those Illinois Twitter swamps. Uh, well, all this talk of engagement uh, makes this uh, journey guide very sad, <laughs> but I understand this is the parlance of the day, so I will accept it for the sake of the discussion. Work, work uh, with I me, do well, think you're me. right. Yeah, I know, I know. Sorry. Yeah, and uh, I do. I but I totally agree. And I one I remember a while back, about two or three years ago, Sports Illustrated did like this poll of the best sixty. They did like a bracket: the best sixty-four teams never to win the national championship. And Illinois blew away that that D Brown team blew away everybody. In fact, I think even the Kendall Gill Kenny Battle team was in the Elite Eight. Like Illinois fans are, and I, I remember talking to some people that worked there. Like we had no idea. Like we haven't even thought about Illinois basketball in like three or four years. We had no idea that the fan base was so rabid. And there is, I think that there is an unquestioned, like there that I think that speaks to almost a. Uh, a, uh, almost a fan base in exile. Like they are waiting. And right now the product, like not only has the product 
if they not won, the product's been kind of ugly for for a few years. And so I don't know if you're seeing the manifestation of that necessarily on the court or in the stance just yet. But I do think the... Uh, I'll put it this way: the new AD. I guess now, I guess he's not really new anymore, but uh, uh, I still think of him as new, just because he's my age. So I can't imagine him being anything any sort of old guy. But uh, when I uh, what Whitman has done so smartly is, and we'll see if it succeeds. Like he certainly made three big, huge. I guess now four, counting volleyball, four big, huge coaching changes uh, with, with uh, at the university. So we'll see how it all plays out, but. Every single thing has been pitched precisely to the ear of that obsessed Illinois fan who wants it, who want, wants Illinois basketball and Illinois sports to be what they were um, and what they think of them, what they should be. They're all like, "We will win, and we will bring back the pride." And this is Illinois, and this is this is the place that you know. Th- th- we know what this can be, and I'm going to be the one to make it that way. I I think Ron Gunther did a lot of good stuff for Illinois, but I do think that there was a certain bureaucra- bureaucratic nature to him. Whereas Whitman, who I think does fine with that stuff as well, he is a booster. And I think what Illinois needs right now is a booster. And I also love that Whitman has basically said, like, look at the football team. Basically, Whitman has said to Lovey Smith, literally, take as long as you need. You have my trust. Take your five years. Take as long as you need. Just play all your freshmen, even if it's only going to mean two wins this year. Uh, f- uh, get rid of all the uh, the upperclassmen, even though that gives us a better chance at a bowl and give us a better chance of not being embarrassed. Uh, it's a, you're seeing this in the offseason with Underwood as well. Some of these guys, uh, Tajon Lucas was a perfectly fine point guard, but he doesn't fit what Underwood's doing, and Underwood has Whitman's complete faith. Now, we'll see if that faith's rewarded, but one thing I love about Whitman, and one of the reasons I think Illinois sports have struggled is they're always renewing something. There's always, I think there was, a, I think uh, at one point, the quarterbacks had five different uh, offensive coordinators in their five years. Uh, like clearly Whitman is saying, do your thing, Lovey. Do your thing, Underwood. Figure this out. And, and giving them the faith to do it, even in the wake of, I think, some national derision, the idea that the Lovey beard, which to me looks awesome, I love the Lovey beard so much, has become this sort of like, wow, that job's so tough on Lovey, he's got to grow a beard. No, I, th- I think the beard is awesome, but I think that's that's the perception of the program. But I like that Whitman is standing strong against that and saying, I trust these guys to get it done however they think, and I'm not going to rush them. I'm not going to try to do some quick fix. We are Illinois, and the way to get back to where we are is not to try to do a quick fix, is to take your time and figure it out. I know right now everyone's really excited about Missouri and Missouri Missouri basketball. That, to me, looks like a quick fix job, and so, therefore, they're getting an initial uptick. They're getting an initial uptick of recruiting's up a little bit, and there's a lot of excitement, but that feels like I'm not sure Quanzo Martin is a great X's and O's coach. That feels like you're trying to make a splash it feels like what Whitman's doing is a slower build. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm getting suckered in. And maybe in five years, I'll be like, nope, boy, I, I just wasted five years of my life and I'm getting older. But I like the way he's approaching it. And I like the way that he is he is speaking to the fan base in a way that says, I, I think we're going to do this. You just got to trust me. I'm from the time that we were this fantastic program. And I'm going to make us that sort of fantastic program one more time. All right. So you gave me several examples of why Josh Whitman trusts Brad Underwood, trusts Lovey Smith. Why do you, Will Leach, first we'll start with Brad Underwood. Why do you trust what uh, Underwood's building, and why do you trust that it'll work? Uh, I, I, first off, it's only the second year, so I, I, I trust that – I don't know that it's going to work. I trust that, try, that, that uh, A, I think it's the best plan they've got right now, and B, 
I do think that going all in with an Underwood, which is basically what they've done, is basically saying well, the things I love about Underwood is not only is like you know he's he's had success theoretically, though this wasn't the case last year, I think because of some roster issues, this is a guy that plays a fun brand of basketball. It's fun to watch. There were times last year, the first half of that Missouri game, Illinois went over Missouri, was as aesthetically pleasing Illinois basketball as I had seen in a near decade. Like, really almost since the D. Brown team. Now, it didn't work out, and some of the players weren't a fit for it. I don't think Mark Smith was a fit for it. I think a lot of guys weren't the exact fit. But you can see the concepts. You can see what he's doing. This is a guy that's had a lot of success in a, uh, in, in a short amount of time playing this sort of way and, frankly, seems to be indicative of the way that basketball is being played now in a way that Bruce Weber and John Gross did not necessarily seem to reflect that. So uh, certainly having the transition that they had in the offseason was surprising and uh and and it does appear to be a total start over period losing LeRon Black was not Underwood's fault I think no one really begrudged Black for that uh but I think that he's focusing on a specific type of player that he wants and I have to say I'm not gonna let the first season which clearly there were just a bunch of guys there that were from the previous administration good kids no one has an issue with them but were not a fit for what Underwood was trying to do I, I, I it's funny people talked this with Lovey Smith last year about how this is his second year they should be making an improvement but it wasn't his second year it was his first year it was his first year he cleared out all the old players and, and started his, like really was the first year of his program I don't think you can do that at Georgia. I think Georgia wants you to win now. Illinois fans, I think, have gone through enough rough enough period. They're willing to give that time, and I, I'm willing to give them that time, too. All right, so outside of Lovey Smith's beard, what are you most optimistic about uh, in regards to Illinois football? Well, what, what's the hashtag? Liddyville? Okay. I, I'm, I'm not hip with yeah, it's the kids from St. Louis. Or St. Liddyville. Uh, people are excited, man. I mean, you know, this was, to me, the best, uh, the best endorsement for Whitman's plan is what you're starting to see with Illinois football, right? You're starting to see, like, it looked like, wow, this is taking forever, and the recruiting wasn't that great last year, and why is he playing only freshmen? And this team, this look like the offense last year was it just oh, nearly impossible to watch. Uh, and you're like, what's even going on? And the whole time, you know, they, they, put, they put up these satellite camps. They've been, they focus on specific areas. They focus on specific sort of coaches. And But from the beginning, Lovey and Whitman have always said, it's going to take a while, but there will be a breakthrough. Now, th- now this breakthrough currently has not manifested itself in wins, but certainly the caliber of recruit and the idea of Illinois football almost as some sort of movement, that's something I've never seen. <laughs> like the idea, like even back in the Makovic, in the heyday of Makovic and Mike White, the idea that Illinois football is a movement to something that people should all get together collectively inspired about, I've never seen that before. So that is, to me, that speaks to, you know, Lovey Smith being a very high character guy, uh, being the type of uh, someone who uh, coaches respect, and kids respect and has and really has proven himself to be a straightforward, honest leader in a way that that's often pretty hard to find in college football, even with some of the best coaches. You know, Lovey Smith, his plan all along has been, listen, we're going to recruit our guys. This is basically what Underwood is doing now. We're going to recruit our guys, the guys that fit what I'm trying to do. Some of them will have high star ratings and some of them won't have high star ratings. But we're going to create something here that people know this is what Illinois is. And that's been the problem for Illinois football. Ball, right it's like one year they're this and then they have to switch everything over and then they're this and i don't even know what the beckman era was this is lovey's 
clearly putting something in place. Now, do I think Illinois is going to start winning uh, Big Ten titles? I think we're a long way away from that. But he's creating something that people are excited about, and I think the proof of that is in a lot of these big recruiting successes he's having right now and the idea that there's a there's a movement. Like, there is a hashtag about Illinois recruiting, <laughs> Illinois football recruiting. That is amazing. It is amazing, especially considering they're coming off that two and ten season. I'm not sure any other school in the country would be able to pull up. I don't know how they did it. I think, I mean, the assistant coaches obviously have some very clever insight into uh, what will you know motivate recruits these days to, to get them on social media, get that trending. And it, it's, it's fun. It's just a fun thing. And I think part of it too, though, is, I mean, Part of it is not to not to uh, devalue uh, engagement some more, but uh, I do think that like this is the plan, right? Like I would not trust this if this were hap- if this would have I would not trust this Liddyville thing if it were happening right after Lovey got hired. I just wouldn't trust it. It would feel quick fix. It would feel like they found like a like the idea to do this after two absolutely brutal seasons on the fi- on the field, but but Lovey's never wavered. He's never uh, like. There's never been this big like. I don't know what I'm doing here. Remember that that there, I think there was a story on ESPN about a year ago saying Lovey's unhappy. He doesn't realize what he got himself into, which never seemed to manifest itself in any sort of his behavior at all. And I think was obviously the fact that he's still there is is clearly uh, uh, debunking that. And he's now breaking through. And this is, you know, this is what Lovey talked about when he first got there, and what Whitman said as well. We're going to change the culture here. Now, I know people always say that, but they always get distracted by fans being like, no, we want to win right now. We don't care about a long-term culture change. We want to win now. I think this has been the benefit of Whitman's approach is to say, you don't, I obviously want you to win now, but you don't have to win now. Now is not what you're going to be judged on. And I think you're seeing the fruits of that now. All right. And besides Lovey Smith, Brad Underwood, I think the, the face of Illinois athletics right now has uh, been assumed by Trent Frazier. He, he's somebody who hasn't really brought an electricity uh, that we've seen since since Steve Brown. Your wordsmith, Will, describe Trent Frazier's first season, the uh, the effect he had on you, and if he kind of harkened back to those glory days of, of 2005, D. Brown and, and that electric, exciting team. Yeah, it's funny because... There was a lot of talk about Underwood this year about like being too tough on Mark Smith and being too tough on some of these guys and yelling too much and getting after them too much. And I think we see, and listen, that's it's clearly not for everyone. It doesn't appear like it was for Mark Smith, and that's fine. Mark Smith, that's totally fine. Like if it's not the way he wants to play, if you want to play for a coach like that, there's nothing, it doesn't there's nothing wrong with Mark Smith. There's nothing wrong with that idea. But when you see someone that responds to it the way that Frazier did, to just see a guy and listen, he's a freshman. There are times where he wanted to shoot all the time and maybe was not always open. It wasn't always the right play. But to watch him to watch him get that to to want not only want to take the big shot, but want to be the center of everything and want to kind of have that swagger and to see someone who the last few years of Illinois basketball, even when even when the gross teams that 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 almost made the turn the last one that almost made the tournament, a couple of those teams have struggled, but a couple of them were okay. They always felt Illinois basketball. I think even back to the last days of Weber. Remember when when Weber when Illinois got destroyed by Nebraska and Myers Leonard was crying on the bench and it was just everything was falling apart. And it feels like Illinois has been in a defensive crouch in basketball 
for a decade, like since, I guess, probably since D's last year. It feels like Illinois basketball has been the defensive crush. Not all of that is John Gross's fault. Not all of that is Bruce Weber's fault. Uh, there were some recruiting things that did not go their way that I, that I think if they would have turned one way or the other might have changed matters. And I don't, I don't even just Eric Gordon. Uh, I, I think uh, j- there's a lot of guys there that might have changed that program a little bit if they turned out a little bit differently. But it does feel like the fan base and the team have been in almost this, like, just don't, just, like like the end of the uh, the end of uh, the character in the Sopranos who's about to get whacked. He's like just just not in the face, okay? Like don't embarrass us on national television. Like you almost hate it when Illinois plays on ESPN on Wednesday because I know all of my friends that don't generally pay attention to Illinois basketball are gonna text me being like, "What the heck happened to you guys?" So I get it, I get it. But like what Frazier represents is a shedding of that. He is representing a guy that like I want to be here and I'm gonna make this team win. That you, I don't. Think think you've seen that specifically since D and since before him maybe Frank Williams like that that kind of guy that once that says we're going to win here and I am awesome and I'm going to lead us to wins that's just something you've not seen in Illinois even with teams that have been good you haven't really seen that Brandon Paul had some moments of it but otherwise we haven't had a guy like that to have him and it was funny with all the roster turnover halfway through the season even when Mark Smith was supposedly the guy that was going to save the program under it was like Frazier's my guy I'm going to give the ball to him at the end of the game every game forever because he is my my guy. And fans recognize that. And I think that's one of the reasons, even if you're not excited about Illinois basketball or you're wondering whether all this is going to work or whether some of some of the uh, recruiting reaches, I would say, they've had this offseason are going to work out. You can't look at Trent Frazier. Uh, Trent, uh, yeah, Trent Frazier makes you want to uh, makes you want to believe. And uh, I think that's what they've been looking for. All right. Well, last Illini related question before we wrap up here. What is your favorite Illinois sports memory in you know, it could be the. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it's the Arizona game or, or something from your childhood, but I'm I'm interested to hear. Give me your all-time favorite Illini sports memory. Uh, the best Illinois sports moment, I think, is no question the Arizona game. If just because, I mean, you know, it was long, It was over. <laughs> it was over, uh, and it was clearly over. And that team, it was just a. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't. And I will uh, on my deathbed, I will hear that Stockton call of uh, Williams Kintaya with a three, and everyone exploding. I'll hear that the rest of my life. My personal, kind of emotionally speaking, uh, was probably uh, probably the Nick Anderson shot against Indiana. I was watching that with my dad. I was 13, 13, 14 years old and um, and watched it with my dad. And the shot was so shocking. You know, it's hard to remember if you didn't grow up with Bobby Knight being the opposing coach, how much it meant for Lou Henson to beat Bobby Knight. And for that team, that was so great. That was the Dick Vitale flying Illini, number one baby team. And to do that at Indiana and to see Knight just storm off the court. Uh, like I jumped up. I always joked that like, after the age of like ten, it was the like the last time, the only time I hugged my father until I like graduated from college. <laughs> like it was, it was involuntary. We both were like, and then like moved on. It was just an incredible, incredible basketball moment that I'll think about forever. So I, those are definitely the two. But I mean, there's so many great ones. I mean, the Andy Kaufman shot against Iowa uh, is a great one. Uh, you know, I think that. Uh, 
uh, I feel like so so many so many of those tournament runs. I feel like the Syracuse, the, excuse me, the Louisville game in the Final Four gets lost a little bit. Roger Powell was a monster in that game. Roger Powell like won that game by himself. There's so many kind of great memories from that. And football related, I will say one of my favorite ever. Call, I live in Athens. I have season tickets to Georgia football, so obviously I see some pretty high quality college football. I would still say maybe one of my best ever college football moments in person was when Illinois beat Colorado in 1990. Uh, the other Colorado won the national championship and Illinois beat them that year and uh, uh, it was thrilling it was absolutely incredible to be there you people forget how Memorial stand Memorial Stadium can just really just rock you know it's been a long time obviously but when that place is full whenever I think of what it, of a old stadium just shaking with uh, with people screaming and getting excited I think of Memorial Stadium it's obviously been a long time since it happened but it's proof that it can't happen again all right well said and one more line related question, except uh, this one will be outside of the athletic field. Um, I want to know your favorite on-campus spot to visit that's uh, not sports-related, so no Assembly Hall, no Memorial Stadium. When you go back to campus, where do you like to hang out, uh, even though the campus has changed quite a bit since you, uh, since you went there? Yeah, yeah, it certainly it certainly has. Uh, most of my like even what le- that huge legends place was built the d- year after I graduated, and now that's like a venerated champagne institution. So everything has changed uh, since then. I tend to. Uh, uh, I, I was not in a fraternity in college, so I was not part of the CO's CAMS thing that everyone always went to. I think, I've, I, th- I think I went to Time Warp Tuesday once. I honestly don't think I've ever stepped foot in CAMS. So I was, I, I was, you know, I was a, uh, I was the guy that back when the Daily Line was at the old Bug Zapper on uh, on Green Street, uh, and it was across the street from the White Horse. I lived at the White Horse, which is now also closed. But uh, for me, if I think of a place, I always try to make sure to hit when I'm back. Uh, I probably still uh, probably all try to hit Murphy's. Uh, Murphy's was that was the one place on campus that I hit. I spent my 21st birthday there, from what I can remember, <laughs> and uh, I think I'm actually still permanently banned from Murphy's. I just don't think they remember. <laughs> I look a lot. Your older. Picture was on the wall. Uh, my, <laughs> yeah, yeah, my hair's a lot shorter, and, <laughs> and I've got a little bit more gray. Uh, but Murphy's was my place, uh, so I always try to go back there. Now it's like twice as big, and there's like video gambling machines in there or something. But uh, for me, Murphy's was the that was, Murphy's and the White Horse were my haunts back in the day. So, but but yeah, I mean honestly, I make sure to I I go back at least once a year to uh, soil the young minds of future Alex's out there. <laughs> so. <laughs> So uh, I'm always delighted to get. The well, you chance. missed out on cams. That was kind of a mainstay for me. Uh, I like that you brought up the video poker machines. Those have taken over Champagne. That's since I left, but they are everywhere. Any, anywhere you can sneak one in, like a gas station. Pretty sure they're at like grocery stores and and anywhere you can find a, a like a gaming slot, it's gonna be there. It's crazy what's happened. Um, I think you can. I think you can blame the fine former governors of the state of <laughs> Illinois for that problem. I don't think we can blame Champagne for that. And uh, you mentioned Whitehorse too. That I know it was on Green Street, not when I went there, but then it moved to John Street, and then it closed. I think my senior year. So. Yeah, a lot, it's a bummer. A lot of memories because it was right across the street from the Daily Illini. So like that was we closed the paper and then just drink until we decided it was too late to go to class the next day. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, final question, and it's a sensitive subject between us. I know you brought it up earlier, but you have not unfollowed me yet this season <laughs> on Twitter because I know sometimes you just can't take my uh, my Cubs tweets. I've toned them down a lot since I started working at BTN because uh, I'm at, I'm at Alex Aru BTN now, so I'm not going to be tweeting Cubs every day. Are you going to be able to stick it out this season and follow me on Twitter as long as uh, I don't tweet too much Cubs stuff? 
Hey, you are the one that has correctly altered your behavior, so it will be no problem. Uh, and frankly, you know, you guys are, you know, in fourth place. So I don't really have to worry about you guys too much right now. You guys aren't uh, chirping too much right now. So I would like to say, uh, for the record, I was there at Game 7. I, I was I was covering the game, and I was at Game 7 of that series in, Cle- in Cleveland. And uh, I will say that um, a nicer, more well-rounded, more mature person would be like, well, regardless of the Cardinals Cubs history, to be there for such a historic moment was an honor, and I was happy for Cubs fans everywhere. But that is absolutely not the way I feel about it at all. I feel like I still to this day think that that Aroldis Chapman, who couldn't even throw a freaking fastball in that ninth inning, should have given up a walk off to Francisco Lindor. And imagine a universe, Alex, where the Cubs actually lose that game in game in lose that series in Game Seven, and then don't win the World Series last year. And then Darvish is struggling, and they're off to like this fourth place start. I kind of miss when Cubs fans lost their would lose their mind. Like I think it's kind of a bummer when you win the World Series. They 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 won the World Series and they can't. Like I miss. There's a little party that misses the torture part of it, right? There has to be a little part. Me no. I during Game Seven. It, it's funny because they're back there this week in Cleveland, and now we're getting kind of all those, uh, all the revisiting of of those games, and and everyone's kind of covering. Those games, and you kind of realize how close they were to blowing it. And when Rajay Davis hit that home run, and it looked like they were going to blow it. I felt something inside of me that I've never felt since, never felt before. It was just like a cold sweat that I don't want to ever feel again. And that feeling starts to creep back a little bit when I think about an alternate universe where they blew it. So I don't even want to think about it. They won. And I remember when I first met you, we talked baseball, and you said what you pretty much just repeated just now is that you would, uh, much, there was no you know ounce of you that was happy for the Cubs to win the World Series. You would prefer a universe where uh, we all remained in suffering. So I, yes. I appreciate uh, you sticking and, to and your to guns f- at least. To be fair, I will be happy for famous Red Sox and Mariners fan Eddie Vedder, who decided he was a Cubs fan just in time for them to win the World Series. <laughs> so many photos of that dude wearing Mariners and Red Sox hats. But no, he wrote us a song. Probably the worst Eddie Vedder song, by the way. All the no, way. I cannot deny. E- even I cannot deny. The catchiness of Go, Puck, Go Cubs Go. That's the worst song in the world because every single time I go to a Cubs game and they win, it takes me like four days to get it out. It's like four days to get it out of my mind. It's like it's like falling into a dumpster. It takes like a week to get to watch this. Movie. Didn't uh no Goodman wrote Go, Go Cubs Go, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's see, that's a good song. Oh, you're, saying, you like that's that? That's a good okay. song. Vetter's song way, is yeah, yeah. That song is a really bad song. <laughs> All right, well, well, I appreciate you coming on and talking a wide range of topics with me. Um, I didn't mention at the top. You can follow him on Twitter at. William F. Leach and list your podcasts that you that you uh, are producing right now because I don't think I got to both of them at the top of the show. Yeah, I actually do three, three. different podcasts. I do a Grierson Leach movie podcast. I do uh, uh, Seeing Red, which is a podcast about the weekly podcast about the same yep. Cardinals with Bernie Nicholas. And then I have a group of friends down here in Georgia that I drink bourbon with and talk Georgia football with every uh, every week during the season. And then they give me 90 seconds to talk about the Illini every week. It's very kind of them. All right, so all the Illini fans tune into this. Head on over and listen to Will's additional 90 seconds because we didn't get to enough topics today. <laughs> Will, yes. thanks so much for taking the time. It was about an hour, and uh, I enjoyed every second of it. So appreciate it as always. Of course. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks a lot to Will for joining me. And I uh, definitely went heavy on the Illini in that episode. And I feel like when you know fellow Illini alum like myself – to talk to someone like that, like Will, who kind of shares all those frames of reference, 
and uh, even more so since he's much older than me. Not much older. Sorry, Will. But he's older than me that uh, I always like to get into the history and perspective on Illini athletics. So hope even if you're not an Illinois fan that you're able to enjoy that discussion and take some things out of it. Learn a few things that uh, what it means to grow up there, go to school there, and now work in sports media, having uh, come from kind of similar backgrounds like Will and I have. All right. Um, we will continue to, to put out good stuff here on the Take 10 Podcast. Hopefully, don't have any empty weeks like last week. Once again, I apologize for that. Should have another episode coming out likely this week with Iowa, former Iowa linebacker AJ Eads. He's going to be in the studio this week, and we're going to talk to him about some NFL draft stuff. I talk to talk Hawkeyes with him. So that'll be something to look forward to. And you can always access all the previous episodes of the Take 10 Podcast in our archives on apple Podcasts, google play podbean etc so thanks a lot to everyone for listening thanks as always to wes white for producing the show we'll talk to you next time here on the take 10 podcast